I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Welcome to Housing Development. How you Jim, doing, Jerry? It's good to be back in the, uh, in the saddle here for uh, our podcast. Uh, it is. A lot going on around town. Um, the election is creeping ever closer. It is. What are you thinking right now? Well, let's see. So we're inside three weeks. Uh, we. Uh, it, it seems that the momentum the Democrats had a month ago, as we've talked over several of our podcasts, seems to have moderated. And the Republicans are back uh, with a slight lead, or at least just slightly down in, in the generic congressional ballot, uh, that some of the races are starting to stretch out uh, for the Republicans, that the electorate is firming up. Um, but uh, it's, it seems that the economy and gas prices are now more front and center, uh, even than they have been for a while. But um, you know the the uh, the Dobbs decision seems to may have peaked for the for the Democrats. So it's uh, again one of the weirder elections we've seen in a long time. And uh, but things seem to be kind of firming back up. If you're a fan of the Republicans, uh, things are are starting to blow your way a little bit better. So are you changing your forecast? I am not. I'm sticking where I've always been. I I I think the House the House flips. I'm still sticking with that 15 to 20 seats. Uh, that may change uh, before we get to our final predictions uh, over the next week or two. But um, and the Senate's, I'm still calling a toss up. I, I still like 50 50. Um, but uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of the one one way or the other, one of the parties picks up that one that one extra seat to make it a two majority. Wait a minute. So you just went out on a limb and said it'll probably be 50 50. But one of the two parties might get a majority. Yeah, no, if, if we're going to cover our bases, uh, you, cover you can our book bases. that. You can put that in the books. That's right. That's right. That is definitely going to happen, Jim. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One, one of those scenarios is going to happen. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, as much as we make fun of our government, we could be worse. We could be great. Oh, yeah, I couldn't believe it. Just before we, we started recording, Liz Trust, the, the now I guess now former prime minister of, of England, uh, what, eight weeks ago, she was she was elected uh, out. I mean, yeah, geez, man, wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. Makes, makes us look really, really good. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Jim, I've been, I've been working with my son, who's a, a high school junior, yeah. and looking at the election coming up. So I said to him last night, let's, let's watch a little bit of uh, the news channels. And the uh, the conservative news channel, I won't name any networks, uh, is all talking about crime, the inflation, and the economy. And then you switch to one of the liberal channels, and they're talking about abortion and racism and civil rights. And I said, and that's the way it's going to be for the next three weeks. Right. They're going to both of them are going to focus in on their core viewer messaging, and it's going to stay that way. But it really is incredible to look at the difference. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, and, and that's that's the, what the American electorate is looking at too. If you're uh, on the activist side of things, uh, those uh, you know, abortion issues uh, and and uh, and 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 racial issues, those are important voter issues that are going to drive you to the polls. Uh, and if you're a, a Republican, uh, you're you're looking at the economy. You're looking at uh, you know some of the other issues like crime. It's it's really interesting. Uh, even even in this time, uh, you know how, how how diverse and and um, and the, the issues are for 
for the for the parties. Yeah, it really is. But uh, we're not going to talk about that anymore today because we've got a really interesting guest joining us. Yeah, um, yeah. The chief marketing officer of Black Buffalo, which is uh, a 3D printed housing manufacturing company, uh, is going to be with us right now. We're looking forward to talking to him. So let's welcome Peter Cooperman. Peter, welcome. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, welcome. So, I, so Peter, I'm going to ask the first question. So <laughs> explain to me how a 3D printed home gets made. Just, yeah, so, uh, yeah. It, you know, it, it kind of blows my mind every time I see it still. Um, the, the easiest way to simplify it is the 3D printers out there right now for construction are basically uh, an alternative or replacement to a traditionally framed house or a block house. So primarily what the 3D printer is doing is layer upon layer, and I brought a little prop with me, uh, layer upon layer, it's actually putting down deposits, but because of the special material that's used, it actually bonds as a solid piece. So basically uh, starts off as a traditional drawing or architectural sketch. Uh, engineers look at it. And then anything you could draw on a napkin right now can basically be printed out as a structural wall with our solution. So it's, you know, it goes from traditional drawing, the digital, it goes into a custom slicer, which is something that even a desktop 3D printer would use. Uh, the difference is with, Printing out a home, uh, if something goes wrong, if a layer looks a little wrong, you want to be able to back that print job up. In traditional 3D printing, a lot with filaments and different things, you would just say, oh, that print was messed up. Let me just move it off the bed and I'll start again. You know, you don't want to do that. So it is a little different than a desktop 3D printer. But really what we're finding is students and any professionals that are trained in 3D printing on a desktop level can operate our printers. Is pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool. What is the material made of? So we're using a, uh, a proprietary cement-based ink that has uh, several additives. Ours was developed over really like three or four years of R&D in partnership with MAPE, um, but it is just as strong as CMU block. We went through a ton of testing. Uh, we spent two years working with uh, International Code Council so we're the first company in the world to actually have a structural coded solution for 3D printed walls. So a lot of uh, companies out there, and there, there are a lot, we actually love seeing different businesses in 3D printing. Some use gantry printers uh, like our model behind me. Others are using robotic arms. And for the most part, they're making houses and structures and they're trying to adapt to traditional building code. So there's still some kind of structural rebar or beams or something that support the structure. And the printed wall is almost like a wind block. Um, ours was actually tested and approved for up to 40 feet tall um, after a lot of testing. So we're hoping that a lot of uh, other companies join us, but it is just a proprietary, really high strength mortar or concrete, depending on which, <laughs> which group you talk to, because there are aggregates in it. And how is it in uh, in climates where you have potential for high winds or flooding or fire? How how, how sustainable is this product? Yeah, so it's it's incredibly resilient. Sustainable is a loaded word, so I don't want to 
<laughs> we're still using cement based on the sustainability. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, but you know, it is it is a cement based mortar. It has sand. It's not flammable in any way. It has a lot of advantages to stick built housing. Um, and you know, the let's see, what was the second part of the question? Just, what about in floods? Um, describe how it responds to weather. Yeah, so it, it's part of the testing was seismic A and B zones, uh, wind and shear testing that we have in our, it's actually ESR report 4623 that covers a lot of that. But to give you some real world examples rather than just reports and stats, uh, the the building behind me that we printed live actually at the NAHB International Builders Show last year, um, we were tasked with taking that down at the end of the show. So I took my biggest, I, I'm not a bodybuilder by any means, but I consider myself fairly decent shape. Um, I took a 16 pound sledgehammer and I tried to knock the wall down and break into it. And it looked like a golf ball hit a piece of uh, sheetrock. Wow. So we had to go and actually get concrete saws to break it up. What's really great about any kind of concrete or, or port or CMU block house, when there is flooding, there is potential to actually save the structure. So that's a lot different than wood where you have to rip it out. You have a lot of mold um, worries. And even if something survives, you probably have to get rid of it. Um, there's a lot more resiliency in concrete and cement-based structures. And we see that in other parts of the world. I think the U.S. is behind and they're kind of catching up, unfortunately, because of natural disasters that are happening. You know, you alluded to wildfires, floods, even hurricanes and tornadoes. There's usually a lot of pictures of, uh, you know, homes, unfortunately, and buildings that were destroyed. And a lot of times it's the block house or the concrete house that survives. So the whole point of our testing is to basically prove that it's not just layer on layer, um, that you know, with our material machine, at least, we can speak to it. It's the equivalent of CMU block. And what, where, where, where does this fit in the cost spectrum? So you know, cost is a, a difficult one because it depends a lot on the labor rate. So we're not really eliminating jobs. We're creating new jobs. So we need two skilled tech, technicians. We need someone that's familiar with 3D printing that can actually run the controller that controls the machine and back up. Um, we also need a mason uh, of any age. They're not doing the heavy lifting anymore, but no matter how many sensors we put on our printer, it still gets caked in concrete or cement at some point. So you want someone that knows how to eyeball it. Um, you can essentially run our job sites with four people. And two of them would be skilled and two of them would be, you know, at any level or entry level. And they're the ones that are just watching the nozzle, telling people to slow down, speed up, how it's coming out. And then we do place a horizontal reinforcement every eight inches and that's still manual. So there's, there's still some work to be done, but we can cut the labor costs significantly on the material cost side. Um, the material is in line with stick built housing. The advantages of 3D are that you have a lot more freedom in design and shape and strength of the end structure that you have. And also um, you can do it very quickly. So with that crew, you can do a 1600 square foot footprint house with inner and outer walls. And, and personally, I don't know if everyone in my company loves me saying this because we love it when you do everything in concrete. I like to redesign my house every once in a while. So 
you can do all the inner and outer walls in around 16 hours, uh, in around 30 hours, sorry, uh, for a 1600 square foot house. If you wanted to do that, if you're just printing a frame, it goes a lot faster. Um, and we're trying to reach out and get contacts. Maybe your audience can help us as well. Uh, we're trying to get contacts at OSHA because right now, 3D printers are considered robots. There was a standard in the 70s um, that basically said you can only go as fast as 9.8 inches if there's someone within eight feet of a moving robot. Um, safety standard, probably very well warranted back then. Right now, there's a lot less risk, and we feel we can go a lot faster than that and help with the efficiency and lower the cost of overall job builds. So, uh, Peter, so after after you frame the house, whether it's just just walls or or exterior rooms, like you said, mm -hmm. then exterior you would you could put siding on it or or or, or lay brick like a traditional home, yeah. and then interior you would frame it with uh, you know traditional you know wood and and sheetrock. Am I correct? Yep. So it's basically you could treat it exactly like a block house. The advantage is you know we're doing just um lines primarily at this point because it okay. is pretty affordable to just do stucco or furring strips or siding or make it blend in but you have a lot more creativity with that and we're trying to encourage our clients to actually make designs and patterns in the outer wall so okay. that you could start putting curves and waves and different patterns and designs and then you could just basically coat it and uplight it and you're done you know interior it depends where we are in the world we were in guyana and everyone's living in stucco houses with finishes. A lot of other places they're using sheetrock. Um, really depends what, what you want the overall finish to be. And although everyone talks about this as affordable and attainable housing, there's really a ton of potential now that it's structural, that you can make you know, custom houses that someone could live in a house that's shaped like a star if they want. I don't know how they find furniture for it. They'd probably have to 3D print that as well. Right. Um, but there's just so much flexibility and potential. It's really great to see, uh, you know, groups like yours really starting to take interest in 3D printed homes as an alternative, not just as an affordable housing solution, but really throughout the the supply chain of houses. So we're talking well, to a lot of people. If there's any Dallas Cowboys listening, you can have your <laughs> star-shaped house um, right. called Peter Cooperman. I might still have my starter jacket. I'll I'll bring it. I'll bring my Dallas Cowboys starter jacket from the '90s over if you guys get get a star house made. <laughs> How's the uh, so so we 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 talked about. I mean, you you you've been at IBS, uh, so thanks for being an exhibitor there. Of course, uh, you've been at the the HUD uh, Housing Innovative Showcase. That's uh, the great. So, but what's the growth of the industry? Uh, are you seeing over the last several years? You know, a couple of years ago, everything was completely in its infancy, um, where there were just one-off pilot projects and, you know, lots of times tied to universities and maybe research, and then you wouldn't really hear much about them anymore. We're seeing a total shift now where even two years ago, I said the biggest challenge was getting local municipalities to understand what a 3D printed home is. Now they're actually coming to our clients because uh, we, I should say that. We make the printer and we make the material. We're not a builder, though. Our thought process is that the only way to scale this industry is to actually sell and provide the materials, the machine, and train the workforce on how to use it. Mm -hmm. And a while ago, it was challenging because the one-off homes are 
you know, it's really tight in the cost comparison because you do have to set up a printer. So that adds to hours, it adds to time. Um, but now we're seeing a complete shift where it's actually towns, local, state governments, and other people recognizing the housing shortage and the challenge with getting people interested in the construction industry. And they're actually coming to our clients. So now instead of one and two off houses, um, we're getting pulled into conversations for 100 plus communities. And now instead of it being a cookie cutter house, like, you know, I don't want to offend anyone, but when we were in Florida, we rented an Airbnb for some of our team. And in that community, every single house looked exactly the same with maybe a color change. Now you can actually make full developments and make every house somewhat unique just by doing a digital programming change. So it's it's really attractive at the the bottom or the affordable level of housing. You can just have one program and keep going down a track system. You can see our printers on rails over my shoulder and you can keep going down and print out the same design. But if you wanted to make a community with unique homes and not only homes, buildings, commercial structures as well, um, you could actually just change the the programming of the machine and it completes the, the frame for you. Okay, so it's resilient. Um, it offers you a lot of unique opportunities. Uh, it's cost effective. What are the weaknesses in this product? What are the chinks in the armor that you still have to work out? I think that the biggest challenge is it's still not just push a button, get a house. And everyone wants to say, especially when they see it, like at the show, everyone was in awe. There was a lot of work that went into it um, on the files, on the material. And you still definitely need, you know, some building experience. We're finding that there's a lot of startups out there and we love them. We love working with them and training them. Um, but the companies that are really taking off with the technology are ones that have done building for a long time. And the companies that are going to succeed in this are the ones that are going to actually not only test in the lab. We do all of our testing outside. Um, but not only test in an indoor environment, but also when it gets to the field, actually listen to their customers. Because right now, every project you see is basically an early adopter type project. What's nice is that with uh, associations and organizations like Habitat for Humanity, taking this technology into their own hands and starting to do homes with it, we're getting real success stories, not only of builders, um, that are building and putting together homes and different structures, but also people that are living in the homes and love it. You know, there, there's a there's one example down in Virginia, not far from you. And she was at a Habitat for Humanity press conference at Newport News that I was at announcing two homes that are going to be printed with our uh, printer in the next month. And she talked about how because she lived in a 3D printed home, when the storms blew in a few weeks ago, all of her neighbors were really nervous about the wind and everything. And she just sat in eating popcorn, watching the movie, hmm. hanging out and waiting out the storm. So I think, you know, the hurdles were really about accepting living in a concrete home in the U.S. I think that's a bigger challenge than anywhere else. Um, but people are starting to come on board and it's great to see success, not only with our business, but others in the industry as well. So would a builder buy, buy the apparatus? from you or do they contract with you to, to build their design? They would buy the printer. We have a, a rental program as well. We want to prove out the technology. So we do have a pool of printers in the rental program, depending on what the project is and what the timeline is. 
they might purchase it, but we would actually train probably multiple crews for each builder. Um, the good thing is about a, a machine, and it's not a lot of heavy lifting once it's set up, is that you can really go overnight. It's incredibly quiet. So if you have multiple shifts, you could wake up to three quarters of a house done. Well, I was, you know, you said, you said 30 hours. I mean, you know, yeah. you can't frame a house in three days yeah. uh, by traditional, I guess we call it traditional methods, but that's, uh, yeah. that's pretty amazing. Now, one, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say one question that comes up around that too, is how quickly can you start finishing it? And basically like you're still calling in all the traditional skilled laborers, the plumbing, the electrical, everything. And you have options there. Like our AC 509, the walls were tested with a non-structural uh, grout fill. So you would want to fill the walls, but you could actually put conduit inside, depending on what kind of freeze thaw zone you're in and how comfortable you are with pipes inside. We'd probably say you'd still frame out a couple of walls uh, traditionally and maybe bring the rough in there, but it's completely up to the builder. And all the MEP and everything is basically handled like a, a block home. And and what about uh, your the workers? You talk about you train the you train the workforce. Is it you're looking for people who you mentioned it's better to have somebody who's experienced in building a home, you know, use the technology. But what about what about the crew? Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, it's not just simply pushing a button and, and letting the machine go. Yep. So we always recommend that at least one person has experience with CAD or 3D printing. Uh, at least one person has some kind of masonry experience. And the rest of the crew really can be anyone. Uh, we've uh, One of our clients literally just, they 3D printed a home. They used a, a competitor's printer. They ended up shifting over to us. But while they were 3D printing the original home, they had a big audience. And some of those people didn't have jobs. They ended up hiring a few of them. And now they're a key part of their crew. Um, we've actually hired and staffed up in Pennsylvania. And we have a... a assembly and training facility there. Um, and what we did was, you know, we, we recruited and no one had any experience. And within three, four weeks, a lot of us were on vacation. Some of us were at, at shows and, and work trips. That crew was printing sample walls and different structures without us after just three weeks of training. So it's something that can easily be learned. Um, we're making real strides with universities, colleges, and technical schools that are getting extremely interested in this because the construction technology, the construction industry is aging out. So anything that, you know, civil engineering programs, some have actual construction and architectural engineering programs, some have dedicated 3D printing construction programs, which are starting to pop up, which is nice. Um, but we're talking to them. We're going to as many events as we can. We're trying to figure out how to scale our printer down. It is modular, so they can actually have one on campus in their lab. But in the meantime, they could be working on converting the architectural diagrams to something that can run our printer. And then we're happy to host schools, universities, and you know, even uh, you know, labor forces. Whoever wants to come out and see and learn about our printer, we have an open house at our facility. Well, Peter, this is uh, incredibly interesting. And uh... It's, it truly is the wave of the future. Uh, I hope that all of our listeners will look for your booth and your exhibit at the IBS this year. And I look forward to talking to you in person down there. Uh, thanks for joining us, Peter. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Thank you very much. Very cool. Thanks for having me.
Well, Jim, things certainly are changing in the uh, in the way homes are being built, aren't they? Yeah, no, that was. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this technology. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Peter and, and their product again at IBS in Las Vegas. And you know, Jerry, I thought it was pretty funny that you you didn't mention that you actually had experience uh, living in a, uh, in a in a in a concrete uh, house. Uh, you, you know, interesting that didn't come up in the conversation. Well, it was it was a very it was a relatively short period of time. The sentence was reduced, um, but uh, yeah, it was it, it wasn't my favorite place to live. There was Peter mentioned rebar. There was rebar all around me, <laughs> and it was it wasn't my favorite. But no, I think his no. homes are a lot nicer. Yeah, a lot nicer, a lot nicer. Uh, so well, anyway, Jim, we're going to be coming back again next week, uh, which may be your last push for your election predictions. Yep, I'm so, ready. Sharpen your pencil, and ladies and gentlemen, next week, Tobin will make his final count, and I'm going to impress upon him to pick victors, particularly in the Senate races. That's right. So, That's right. So stay tuned for next week's version of Housing and Developments, and until then, everyone stay safe. For, for Housing and Developments, I'm Jim Tobin. I'm Jerry Howard. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.